This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeps. Welcome back, everyone, to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heese, and we are here to become better habitat managers. We have a great spring habitat episode for you guys here today. We have uh, trusty co-host Brian Hallbly on the line, good friends Al Tomeshko and Sam Carroza also on the line. So we're talking habitat from Michigan to Pennsylvania to Ohio to Illinois today. And uh, what we were going to cover... Uh, pretty much what's new and current with us, um, kind of a catch-up. Normally we talk about some goals this time of year, what we want to get done, and it's kind of what we're doing now. We're talking about pretty much like what's new with us habitat-wise, farm-wise. Sam bought a new farm, so we hear about that for a while. Um, we talk about some spring habitat projects, whether you know it's frost seeding or scouting or what you could be doing right now in the woods this time of year. You know, weather's getting warmer. Turkey season is around the corner, but, you know, chainsaws are, are firing up, um, frost seeding is here, so we get into all that for you guys here tonight. Great discussion on that, all things spring habitat. I want to thank the listeners for everybody who has been giving us great reviews over on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Decals are in the mail, guys. Thank you so much. If you haven't received a decal, pop on over to our Habitat Chat Facebook group. We have a post up there for uh, people who want to claim their good review and, you know, get me hooked up with your address. So best way for me to find you if your um, review doesn't give me that information. But thank you so much for people who are leaving those. The five-star reviews and the words behind them really help us rise to the top of, you know, this this podcast genre. and really helps propel us and keep us going. So 
And then, you know, I also want to thank our, our land plan clients. We've been knocking out the land plans, guys. If you're interested, um, you know, let us know sooner than later because right now we're already booking into May. And we just wrapped up James in Minnesota. We wrapped up Marl in Pennsylvania. And now we're working on um, Jake over in West Michigan. And then we have uh, Mike up in New Hampshire. So, guys, we're, we're pumping through these. Let us know if you need anything. That's at HabitatPodcast.com slash land plans. Um, what we're hearing and, and feedback from our plans is, you know, some of that stuff I knew, but a lot of it I had no idea of. So I'm glad, you know, brought that to my attention prior to me waiting, you know, five, six, seven years down the road, wishing I would have done things differently. You know, if, if you're new to a property and you need some guidance getting started, these are perfect for those either digital or in person. Um, next month I'll be doing Northern Michigan couple properties up there and then uh, Ohio as well guys so we're all over the board let us know if you need some help and but just thank you so much for your support over at habitatpodcast.com you know with with uh, the land plans the reviews the gear uh, the the blog posts there's two new blogs up there so be sure to check that out thank you very much uh, I want to talk about the habitat hook so this weekend I'll be out using my aluminum fully extendable version and what I'm going to be doing is going through after my loggers were in and taking care of any undesirables that were left, any sort of hinging and screening off my neighbor who now hunts my property line type thing. Uh, they're great people. I just noticed their stand got a little closer to my property line this year, so I'll be taking care of that. Um, also, I noticed where some areas – last year that the deer were not coming as close to my areas as I thought they would after the logging. So maybe there's a treetop in the way and I'm going to go, you know, cut my way through there, push some stuff out of the way and maybe fell or hinge a couple trees over to block where they were going before steering them closer to my stand or blind. Just some things I like doing. I use that tool in the wintertime and springtime so much it's ridiculous. It's very high-quality products made from a gentleman here in Michigan who's a super awesome guy and um, does pretty well hunting his small 10-acre property. So check that out at nationscreations.net or the Habitat Hook on Facebook. I also want to talk to you guys about the new ATV crimper from Packer Max. Don't get too excited. They're not for sale yet, but I've heard as of today that they're coming soon. So Lincoln and the Packer Max crew went out to Iowa for the um, Iowa Deer Classic. Uh, things went awesome out there for him, you know, as you can imagine. Great guy with a great company, great product. Things are going to go well for him. Uh, the crimper was released there in terms of the prototype. So if you go on our Facebook page, uh, we did post a picture of it today, um, March 10th, on our Facebook page with the new crimper that hooks to your Packer Max. So check that out. There's a link below to HabitatPockets.com. You can find our Facebook there or just search us on Facebook if you're not already following. And you'll be able to see Lincoln's new crimper. Uh, they beat the crap out of it today on some corn in the cornfield, some stubble, and it tore it up. So that's good stuff. Can't wait to get me one of those here soon. And um, you guys check it out at Packer Max Facebook for the new look of the crimper. But if you haven't got a call to Packer yet, it's probably your first step. We have a $25 off code. If you call Lincoln and use the code HPC, you get 25 bucks off any packer, culta packer of your choice for spring, summer, fall food plots. So check that out, and thank you for the support. 
I want to thank HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morris Nursery for their support in the podcast. Guys, enjoy the show. Kick back, grab a brew or a coffee, and we're going to listen to some spring habitat discussion with your Habitat podcast crew. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you soon. I want to hear, how are you all doing? I know we just covered Brian. Brian's a nurse in a sore back, as am I, so I try to keep up with my wife at the gym. Well, in January, I'm still crying about it, so. You feeling better, Brian? Yeah, today's much better than yesterday. We try to let the uh, younger officers, you know, full of piss and vinegar in their 20s, do all the fighting and all that good stuff, but. One of our training instructors decided to try to take my gun off me during training, and it didn't work <laughs> out real well for him. But I did jack up my back, but I kept my gun, and he ended up on the ground. So, Yeah, nobody else knows about the back, right? Never let him see a sweat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you walked out of there all chest out, you know, good mm-hmm. to go. And, and massive amounts it. of pain, but I didn't look <laughs> like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm at least you're getting better pretty quickly. I've been nursing this thing for like six weeks. I was trying to do a kettlebell swing. Yeah. Yeah. See, when I said that to the physical therapist after like five weeks of limping around, he's like, oh, CrossFit. Yeah. That's the number one cause of my new customers. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, kettlebells. I need to write a check to the guy who makes kettlebells because I can just get customers. All I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no. Like you're not supposed to bend over like that and swing around things if you're not mm-hmm. used to it. And apparently um, women, uh, he said, are a little more prone to not screwing themselves up like men are. I, I didn't really uh, get too far into that. But I know we have some listeners that are probably physical therapists that could, that could help guide me on that. Maybe it's just don't be out of shape. So I don't know. But Stretch. <laughs> stretch more and don't try <laughs> to keep up with the – the younger, more fit people. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you guys are making me look smart here. I'm just sitting on my butt, not getting hurt, not doing any physical activity. It's been great. Going and through the drive-thru. Going through the drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> that was the voice of the Illinois Stallion, Mr. Sam Carosa. How are you doing, Sam? Doing great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for hopping on. Well, we uh yeah, there's no group uh, BS session, you know, unless Sam's involved. So <laughs> got to keep you guys in line. Somebody has to. Brian, Brian would, but he, he got to give him another week to heal. Yeah, yeah, down and out. Nothing and, but non-alcoholic beverages tonight. Oh, you are on your game when you're drinking the Sobe water. Nice work, <laughs> Albert. What's shaking, bacon? Mm-hmm. Albert Tomeshko. He's on as well. We got the four of us tonight. Yeah, everything's going well for me. Uh, you know, all things considered, dealing with a sick dog this week, and that's been troubling, but it uh, looks like things are fixing up there. So other than that, just ready for springtime, man. Just ready for spring. No, I hear you. Um, that is the reason we're on here tonight. We're going to talk about our spring habitat plans, some 2020 habitat goals, maybe a new farm somebody bought, you know, some new exciting stuff. Uh, but first, I want to hit our, our new cool uh, Amazon affiliate, Habitat Podcast Store we have up on Amazon. 
Um, in a link below the, sh- the podcast here in the show notes, you're going to find a link that says or Habitat Podcast Amazon Affiliate Store. This is nothing new to the world of people on the Internet. New to me, but um, it's a way that you can help support the podcast if you shop on Amazon like somebody in this household does every single day. So I'm not going to call out any names because she's upstairs listening. But, uh, Al, why don't you tell us about a little bit about that and, and how it works and, um, you know, if the listeners want, how they can help support the podcast. Yeah, I mean, Jared, you pretty much um, did a really good summary of it. Essentially, all it is is it's another avenue to support the podcast. Um, the podcast gets credit for having people enter Amazon through that link. Um, ideally, you know, we try to make a storefront of like-minded Habitat products, books, um, trail cameras, hunting gear, stuff like that. Uh, but as long as you enter Amazon through that link, don't op- open up another browser, you could buy, like, toothpicks to toilet paper. It doesn't matter. And Habitat Podcast doesn't make – I think a lot of people think that, like, you're acting as the distributor – or that you're taking profit margin off of the individual items that are sold, uh, but you're not. Essentially, Habitat Podcast just gets a small um, referral percentage of the overall sale. Uh, so basically, instead of uh, Amazon making 40% profit margin on everything, they go, hey, you referred some people to our website. We're going to make 38%. We're going to give you 2%. Um, if you just go to Amazon, they make all 40%. So either way, Amazon's making money in this scheme. Uh, we're not a distributor. Uh, basically, all you're doing is supporting us by saying, well, heck, I, I already buy things on Amazon. Instead of just going to Amazon.com, I'll go through this link and then purchase the things, and it helps uh, support the podcast, new microphones, video equipment, and all of the other things that it takes to uh, run a podcast. Including new hosting to speed that website up. So I committed on that. We're That's a that's going into effect very soon for anybody who's noticed some delays sometimes in the website. It was due to a shared hosting by my web guy while we're breaking off of that, going to our own hosting and I'm um, going to be on fire fast now. So things like that, you know, there's a lot of cost out there and uh, you really think Amazon's only making 40%? Well, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it depends on the items. I'm sure on some of the like higher volume commodity stuff, they might make lower percentage than that and I'm sure yeah. on other stuff they're making three, four hundred percent. So they do just fine. They do just fine. And and the other thing, too, is that's cool about the Amazon link. And, Jared, hopefully you don't mind me going into a little bit of detail on this. But, you know, we do want to be able to refer people to products that we like, and then we can have that link up there. So, um, you know, a a couple of the books that I've read that I found have been really inspiring for soil health, um, Dirt to Soil or Soil Owner's Manual, I can write like a brief summary on why I like that book and then put a link just to that book and say, hey, by the way, if you're interested, all you have to do is click on that link, you purchase it, and again, you're not buying the book from Jared or Habitat Podcast. You just buy it through Amazon, but we're getting a small referral fee um, off of that, and you don't pay any other additional costs on anything that you buy. So it's the same as just going to Amazon directly, uh, but we do want to try to help people um, specifically to a lot of the things that we talk about or Jared talks about or Brian and the guests talk about um, and kind of push them towards that. So sprayers, spreaders, books, et cetera, that are all on Amazon currently. Uh, and it'll be a huge help if people will use that link. That's a good option. I didn't know that they allowed you to do that for specific products. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's really neat, and I mean, we can even get into, um, you know, a lot of people have started obviously because springtime, and we're going to probably be talking about it more, but with uh, spreaders, you know, a lot of guys are asking the question about spreaders and things like that. So one of the things that we might be able to do is like a YouTube review of different spreaders, and then we can link specific, hey, did you like what Brian talked about on this earthquake spreader, this solo spreader? Here are the links. They can click on it, take it right to the Habitat store, and they can buy it. And there's a small referral percentage um, that's kicked back to uh, HP. But, again, the cost of the spreader would be the same if you just went to um, just went to standard Amazon. Uh, there's, no, there's no additional markup or anything like that. Nope, great points. And I think um, if we can share a little bit more about the gear we use sometimes and try to help somebody make a decision between different types of spreaders or, you know, without having to waste their money on a, on a cheap one first, maybe buy the $80 one because, you know, we already went through that pain, it's, it's good to help. So, like, like Al said, there's not a ton coming off it, but who knows, a couple of years from now, it might add up to help, you know, buy Al a new tractor or something. You know, who knows? But <laughs> All kidding. All kidding. All good, guys. We appreciate your support, and um, thank you very much for, for listening to us on that. Now, I want to get into the, the good and fun stuff. Um, which one of you is doing a Habitat project next? Who's up next? I did something today. Let's hear it. Well, I just, I just frosted some switchgrass. That's it. And I forgot my boots, and I ruined a pair of Docksiders. So, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, isn't that, that, that Amazon link? Your boots, Jared? <laughs> it's not the first time I forgot my boots, Sam. Yep. You are right. You are right. Um, thanks for that memory. Yep. And, uh. Yeah, no, that you're right. Use the Amazon link and buy a new pair of shoes. <laughs> no, it was it was real muddy out there and wet, so hopefully I don't get a lot of washout. I might hit a little more sea down there just to be safe. But um, my my fall kill worked well with the uh, 24G and the glyphosate. It's still black as as dirt today. Um, yeah, it's that time, guys. Uh, that's all I've done in the last week or so. I got some ideas coming up soon. Um, some more frost seeding stuff with some clover and some chicory. But, Sam, what do you got going on over there? Well, finally the weather's broke, so I'm excited to get back out to the farm. Um, there's been a new which, which farm, farm that we're going to be managing here. Yeah, which farm? The new one. So we uh, we closed on a property in end of November, early December. Um, so we've been both feet in, jumping in and ready to go. So we've been anxiously waiting for the snow to get get melted and get gone and this uh, this weekend we actually have a private forester coming out to walk our uh, timber with us, so he doesn't know what he's in for because I'm going to follow him right step by step and ask him a million questions and try and uh, <laughs> learn from him all day. I think I got him for about eight hours, so he's gonna he's gonna be excited to get the heck out of there. But um, hoping to find some sheds on the way and uh, start some scouting and all that. I mean, we've been scouting a little bit over the winter, but it's just been tough for the last month and a half here. So. Um, excited to get this started. I mean, we've got a lot of timber to be looked at and uh, hopefully to get, get some logging, get permission to do some logging um, on the property and get some get some money back, but also open up the canopy and um, before I start doing any TSI or anything like that. So got to start with those big trees first. That's the plan this weekend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, tell us about your new farm a little bit. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, it's 188 acres, and we um, sold our previous farm that we own for, oh, going on eight or nine years now. Um, 
and actually half of it is sold and half of it's still for sale. So if anybody wants 101 acres of prime Illinois ground, go over to land, guys. But uh, we've got a go. we've got a showing coming up and um, had one last week, so it may not last very long, but we'll see. Um, anyways, the uh, new new property is exciting. I mean, it's it's the reason we looked at it. It's nestled up against about 250 acres on our north border of complete sanctuary. North of that is a, a big lake community and a golf course community and everything. So that's, there's no hunting there. So it's, you know, 800 to a thousand acres of no hunting directly North of us. So um, the deer numbers is just incredible. I mean, I've never seen sign like that, like, like on this property and uh, I'm excited. I got to hunt it a couple times in January and one hunt I sat in over a uh, bean field that's 12 acres and I saw 45 deer. It was unbelievable. So Jeez. Al's shaking his head because he knows that he needs to kill 30 of those does. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have another 30 pile in. I, I know. I know. <laughs> so it's exciting. Uh, we're, we're chomping at the bit to get going. I mean, I've got more projects than I can even list off that are going to need to be done here this summer, but it's all exciting stuff. So Awesome, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations, buddy. That's, Thank you. That's exciting. I, I can't even imagine. Um, are you a golfer? I am, yeah. So I'm, I'm a golfer and a fisherman. So I mean, it's all within two miles of the farm. It's going to be nice. Um, uh, that's awesome. So in between planting food plots and uh, checking trail cameras, I get to go play nine and scout my <laughs> on, on the golf course too. So, um, so it's going to be fun. We're excited. That's great, man. And and your Forrester, when you called him, what did you say when you when you first talked to him? Like, what were your goals you're trying to explain to him? Well, that's the thing is I did a lot of research trying to figure out if I wanted to go right to the district forester of our county or a private forester. Um, I asked around for a couple of opinions and uh, ended up finding one that, one guy that was down near St. Louis, so it's a little bit of a haul for him to come up to me. It's about three and a half, four hours, but he said he would do it, and he was highly recommended by a couple of guys. So um, he is a private forester, and then everything that he writes in his timber man- management plan needs to go through the district forester. So I guess it has to go through him at some point too but um basically i called him and told him i've got you know a farm that's overly mature it's uh hasn't been touched in a long time and there's uh about 20 acres where it is the definition of the park effect woods i'll i plan on taking some pictures and putting them on habitat chat this weekend but i mean we uh walked up there in december january and jumped a couple deer and we saw them run for 300 yards before they got out of sight so i mean these trees are giant up there but um so there's going to be a lot of timber value coming out of there, a lot of a lot of walnuts and a lot of big white oaks up there. So we are, you know, of course we're excited to get some some money back, but mostly we want to change the landscape up there and start holding more deer up there. So awesome, awesome, yeah, yeah walnut and white oak, buddy, that's good stuff there. Nice. Yeah, a lot of walnuts. I mean, we had we had a logger walk it real quick, and they found one tree that was nine or ten thousand dollars itself. So I mean, Jeez. that blew my mind. I thought maybe each tree would be worth a thousand dollars or something. You know, you have to pay a couple other people to get that all done. But um, when he said nine or ten, I didn't know the trees went up that high in value. So some special that's awesome. Tree. So yeah, that's awesome, man. So yeah, it's a near yeah. black walnut, buddy. That's we better start planting some walnuts. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, so that's what uh, I'm excited for the weekend, to, to say the least. Yeah, I can't wait to see the pictures over on yeah. Habitat Chat. That's going to be awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Brian, what's going on at the least, my friend? 
Or in, or in yeah. Pennsylvania. You've been out in Pennsylvania walking around more so than Ohio. Yeah, I only got out one day since the snow melted. Uh, didn't have any luck finding any sheds. But, uh, yeah, we got uh, a, a new permission farm for this year. It's uh, 134 acres. It's literally, I mean, I could walk to it from my house. It's probably about half a mile, three-quarters of a mile through the woods to get there. <clears throat> I can take my e-bike over there real easy. Um, there is one other guy that has permission to hunt it. That's a friend of the family that owns it, but uh, he's mostly a gun hunter. And uh, being a policeman here in the local town, uh, she asked me to keep an eye on the place and to run anybody out that's not supposed to be there, and that's going to be easier said than done, as you guys know, being property owners. But, uh, yeah, excited for that. Had some really good bucks on camera over there this past season. Uh, big 12-point. Uh, he ought to blow up into something real nice, hopefully. Uh, unfortunately, I think you guys saw the pictures of uh, that one buck that Chris Hanbury had had a lot of history with. Uh, he must have got hit by a car, we think. He had some broken ribs. Uh, guy on the next town over found him with a shed dog and shared the pictures on a on a group chat or a, a Facebook group that we're all in. And uh sucked to see that deer go that way, but, you know, got a uh, got the chapter closed on him. It's, it's, it's a lot more frustrating when they just disappear and you never know what happens. So at least we got that out of it, I guess. But, uh, yeah, with the snow melted now, we're going to start doing some projects. Um, number one on the list over there at that permission farm is going to be securing up the trespassing. There's a couple quad trails in there, and they don't have a lot of new signs updated, so we're going to get that all posted. And uh, <clears throat> probably just do a couple of simple food plots to start and go from there on that one. Now, have you tried to keep quad-type trespassers off a of property before, and, and how do you successfully do that? Because down in Ohio where we hunt and probably where you hunt too, there's uh, it's, it's tough to do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fencing is probably the best if you have the time and money to put a, a three- or four-strand good barbed wire fence up. Uh, blockades are great if you have the trees there. Unfortunately, on this property, there's a big power line that comes through there, so there's no trees to drop. So we're probably going to run some fence posts and uh, put some signs up and run some nice tight wire. So we'll see. I mean, you just do your best, and you're not going to stop at all probably. And uh, just try to keep an eye on it when I can. Nice. Brian, do you have any old trail cameras? Yeah, I have a ton of them. I always save them for decoys and things. Yeah, that's then, perfect. Yep. Yep. They, those those four-wheelers don't know uh, if it's a satellite camera or what, so they just, you know, get scared and leave leave if they see it, I think. So yeah, pull those up and see if that helps. Yeah, and this isn't a super big town. Uh, I know a lot of people being a policeman here, so it'll be pretty easy to figure out who the troublemakers are if, if we get to that point. Hopefully we don't have to go that route, but yeah, right. it is what it is. And are you allowed to do any TSI or um, anything else besides food plots on that property, or what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, I think uh, I just get, talked to her real quick about some food plots and some minor stuff, and she was fine with all that. Uh, I don't remember the last time they had it logged. That's probably something I should go over with her. She might be interested in that. I'm not sure. I know a lot of people in the suburbs here have no idea about timber values and, and what they actually have on their property. So that's a, that's a good idea. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll have to run that by her and see if she's familiar with that and see if that's something she's interested in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, food plots, so you got ideas on where you're going to put those or are there already kind of some in there? No, there's nothing there yet, but there are some open areas. It was um, strip mined. Uh, part of the property, the the front part towards the road access is uh, an old stone quarry. They don't, they haven't really blasted anything there in years. I think they do a lot of crushed concrete work now with um, the highway departments and all that stuff. But uh, there's a lot of open areas from the old strip mines. The soil's not great. So that's going to be a challenge is finding the areas where the soil is decent enough for us to work. So we're going to get some uh, killer food plot soil test kits out here real soon and start working on that first. Yes, sir. And how about uh, Ohio? Have you been over there anytime recently? I know you got a, a sea container placed over there on the lease. That's pretty badass. Yeah, I, I wanted to get a... Uh, something to store some equipment and possibly have a place to get out of the weather and maybe even camp. So uh, I was hoping for a 20-footer. Um, ended up finding a local guy that had to get rid of a 45-footer. So it uh, ended up being cheaper than what I was looking at. So we took advantage of that. Uh, haven't been down there with all the snow that we've had, but uh, our friend Danny Warner that we've had on the podcast, friend of Al's, uh, He's, like, unbelievably familiar with those hills down in that area. He's got some property that he has permission to hunt about 20 minutes from my new lease. And him and I spent a couple hours one day texting back and forth with some aerial photos and some topos. And his insight was invaluable. And then he just blew me away when uh, he accepted my offer to come down and take a walk with me one of these days. So. I'm looking forward to having him down there and picking his brain and uh, helping me out before I start doing too much damage to the place. <laughs> yeah, well, I know uh, Danny definitely knows what he's doing down in those hills. Uh, he was on Habitat Podcast 88, if anybody's interested in hearing about Danny down there in Ohio. Um, but I'm excited for your, your new lease. That's going to be pretty interesting. How, how big is that lease again? Funny, it's the same size as the one I got permission on by the house here. It's 134 acres, so hopefully that's a lucky number. And, man, we had a really nice buck on camera there. Uh, I sent you guys some video of him making that big rub and everything. So if he survives, he certainly should be a giant, super giant. So, And there's a few other good ones on there, so looking forward to that for sure. So both that and the Pennsylvania property are 134? Yes, Tom Buck says you shoot a 134 this year. That would be pretty cool. I definitely yeah. wouldn't wouldn't pass that up for sure. Yeah, I'll shoot one if you don't. That sounds perfect. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's crazy the same size. Yeah. But 
No, you sound like you're set up pretty good, buddy. You got lots of good work ahead of you this year, obviously. We all do. And looking to see, uh, looking forward to see what you and Sammy pull out. Um, then we got our boy Al. What's going on, Al? I know you've been writing a list or something, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm mean, so stressed out about it already. <laughs> yeah. No, there's. I mean, there's not. There's a million projects to always do. Um, yeah. All right. You know, top five. Well, I'd say you know this year I'm trying to actually make things like less. Really, I'm, I'm trying to do less is more. Um, you know, I'm not doing any major um, projects, so I'm I'm trying to focus on like continuing to focus on soil health um, and scouting a hell of a lot more. Um, I have a lot of permanent sets on the farm now, um, and they're good. I mean, we know it's been ten years of hunting that farm, and it, as We've had 250 acres. It's been four years like with that, and most of the habitat changes have been done. So now you kind of get into a rhythm where you kind of know what the deer are going to do for the most part. Um, but we've hunted it in a really comfortable manner for the last several years, like really low access or easy access. Um, and one of the things I want to do is have a couple places that even if I don't have a permanent stand, um, I actually bought a mobile setup off of Brian that I can get into and hunt like in the rut um, and get in a couple of these funnel points uh, to use some of the terrain. Um, like actually, like Brian said, I mean, I, Danny and Zach and I text like every day basically, and, you know, going over different um, aerials and stuff and just even random people's farms and running ideas like, hey, how would you guys approach this and um, seeing how they come at things. I kind of want to do that with my own farm, like take a step back this year and be like, all right, let's pretend I didn't know all this habitat work was done. How would I approach hunting this? Um, so that's kind of how where I'm at from the hunting uh, perspective. Um, you know, of course, shed hunting, trying to locate beds, which is always difficult that I find, at least in my area of southeastern Ohio, it seems like deer can bed pretty much everywhere. You have a thousand acres of clear cut surrounding you. Uh, the deer really have a lot of areas where they can bed. Uh, the one area in itself is 350 acres of, uh, I mean, it was cut to the bone. And it's all one contiguous piece of ground. So that's um, that's that's a lot of bedding area. But still, I know there's some spots they could bed. So trying to locate some sheds in there and find out where some of those deer are bedding. Um, and I've had some really good conversations with guys who consistently have done uh, found sheds and then killed deer that way. And then on, on a Food plots, I'm spending a lot of time focusing on soil health. I mean, that's something I'm pretty passionate about. and um, I think it's important to have kind of some of these habitat projects that are kind of removed from hunting, right? Like, I don't necessarily know if soil health is going to generate a big buck for me. Uh, I like to think in the long run, right? Epigenetics and all these things play into a, a factor. But, um, you know, that's just kind of another hobby within the whole big realm of habitat management that I like. And um, managing invasives is a big thing for an eight-foot project. Um, again, I don't know if Killing Tree of Heaven is going to generate a big buck for me, uh, but it's something that I really do enjoy. And I think in the long run, you know, bettering the habitat is, is going to give you better whitetail hunting. So um, that's probably my number one priority this this winter. Again, like like you guys, I mean, the, this winter we have so much snow and with everything going on with COVID and stuff. It's been a little bit more difficult to get some work done. Um, it's kind of hard to spray Tree of Heaven when there's two foot of snow on the ground walking on the side of a hill. Uh, but now that things are getting better, we're getting close to sap flow uh, time. Uh, I talked to the forester this week, actually, 
And he was like, you know, if you spray him, worst case scenario, you're going to stunt him real bad and you come back in him again type of thing. So um, I will probably start spraying them any and every chance that I have. I've sprayed some, um, but have some more work to do and cut in great vines and just kind of checking the box on some of those things. Yeah, I know um, you're you're very intrigued or, or diligent with your soil health. You've been keeping track of it year over year, right? I mean, you threw something off on Habitat Chat the other day. Um, explain what that was and maybe why others could do that to, to learn, um, including myself. Yeah, so, I mean, I I uh, used Excel uh, just because, you know, these soil test charts, there's a lot of information on there. Um, and we can kind of get into uh, the semantics of, of or, or, or the detail, I guess I should say, of what really needs to be focused on um, within these soil charts. But for food plots, like primarily, there's only a few things that you really need, um, at least at a quick glance. So what I wanted to always do is make like a quick reference guide to where I could look at every single field, including my garden. I actually did this. And then year over year. Because, like, those, I don't know, the average soil sample test is probably, like, three pages, I think they are. And, like, I would staple them together, and that would be one food plot. And, you know, you have three to four to five years. I'd be like, wait, where's that folder? And now I'm trying to find them, and they're not all in the same order. So I just made one quick reference guide. I think I have um, pH on there from year to year, OM, and then CEC, which CEC is basically like how is your soil made up? Um, it's actually cat, cation exchange ratio or something like that. Um, but basically, what it, it's talking about the charges in the soil, and if it's more clay, it has more positive charges and all this stuff, and how nutrients are spread. It's um, essentially it's saying clay or soil, like at the basic level. And um, I reason I always want to track that is some people go, oh, who cares? Well because I want to make sure there's consistency in my soil samples from year to year. So that's just one more thing for me to check. Like if one year, one of my food plots measures it, the rate of sand, and then the next year I send the same uh, Stonehenge plot in, and the CEC comes back and it's 28, I'm going, wait a second, that's like clay. Well, something's going to happen there. Either I mixed up the bags or the lab mixed up something. Um, and same with OM, uh, your organic matter. You know, I, I looked it up, like, the average organic matter level in the state of Ohio, even in ag land, is like 4 or 6%. Um, back in the, when well, we could get into regenerative agriculture in, in the Great Prairies, it was a hell of a lot higher. But it's, it's like 4 to 6%. So if I send something in and it's at half a percent, okay, well, that tells me, was it old strip mine ground? What, why is it there? Is it degraded? And then also, if in the next year it's at 13%, Okay, <laughs> something probably threw that off. I don't think I took my my OM in one year from half a percent to 13%. So that's another reason I like to see some consistency there. And, of course, pH from year to year. Everybody talks about adding lime. Um, so one thing I've noticed is I hit lime really, really heavy in, like, 2016. And on several of my fields, I have not had to add lime. And although I've seen um, – I guess you could say some degradation of the pH, right? It's going back down. It hasn't been very drastic. So it's been a slight degradation in pH. So I might have to add a little bit of lime to pick it up. But as you increase your OM, you should start to increase your holding capacity and not have to lime as frequently. Um, I posted a link, I think, to that about Ray Archuleta 
speaking about that. He can speak a hell of a lot better than I can. But, um, you know, in general, that's kind of why I made that quick reference guide so I could look at all of those different columns per each field and track the progress or non-progress and figure out why am I not um, increasing. And then also my biggest thing is to make sure there's consistency from year to year. Because I always questioned, like, um, one year I added topsoil to my garden. And the CEC came back, it was like 25, because it was kind of more clay topsoil. It was a big mistake I made. But um, nonetheless, it came back really heavy. And like the year before, it was I would have been better just leaving it as it was and not adding that, that filler that my buddy gave to me. But nonetheless, the point being is um, had I not known that that was done, I would have just been looking. I would have been able to see this huge variance in CEC level and said, well, something must have been added or something happened here um, that, that wasn't consistent. So that's kind of a long rambling way of explaining how I do it and why I do it and why maybe some others might think it's helpful. Well, what's interesting, and I just thought about this as you were explaining, you and Brian both mentioned soil tests. Um, that's definitely something we could all be doing right now as that snow melts, right? So, I mean, for just for something, if you're wondering what can you do, Maybe you're you're not out using the chainsaw yet. Um, maybe your apple trees haven't been delivered yet from Morse or, or wherever. The the soil tests, you know, that's a great great idea to get done right now. Um, do you use a any of you guys? Do you use like a, a core sampler? Use a shovel? What's your what's your way of doing that, Brian? What do you do? I just use a shovel. Sam, I I take and like uh, I take like four corners of the plot and then a couple out of the center and just Mix it together. Yeah. Sam, you're the same? Same thing. I use a shovel. And uh, funny story, I actually did soil test about three years ago, and I sent him out to Nick uh, Percy. And uh, he called me up when the soil test came through. He goes, hey, you normally I call people and say, I got you got to do all these amendments. That Illinois ground is perfect. So I, he's laughing. <laughs> he's like, just, put, just put the seed down. You're in good shape. So, um I have different experience. We don't need any more that. reasons to hate you. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> that black dirt just comes up out of your shovel. And, yeah. So I got to do it again with the new farm just to make sure, you know, but um, the old farm was, was pretty solid. So. Goodness. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like Illinois, Iowa, just great, good old farm country, big bucks, yeah. good nutrients in the soil already. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I will uh, trade you for the Michigan sand that I'm in. <laughs> That's for darn sure. Got, but I have to get out and do that again and see, you know, where it compares yeah. to, to years past. And, um, Al, were you using ag lime, pelletized lime, or, or what were you using when you when you did that to where your lime holds true for, you know, two or three years? My guess is uh, ag lime, um, if it held good that long. Or what's your reasoning for that? Well, again, I mean, my soil it does have more of a clay um, aspect to it, so it's not going to leach nutrients as much as less than a sand-based soil would, um, you know, number one. But I've used primarily um, pellet lime. I mean, Brian's been to my farm, like, you're not getting an ag buggy <laughs> around. Like, there's just no mm. way in hell. That'd be tough. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, it would be very, very tough. So um, I actually did, man, it was a crazy, this was, back in 2016 so some of those fields haven't been lined since then and I think I did four tons of pelletized lime um, 
No, it was eight tons. It's eight tons of pelletized lime, and I did it with a PTO spreader tractor, and I would shovel it with a grain shovel into a trash bin until it was like about too heavy to pick up. And then I'd pick it up and dump it into a PTO spreader, and I could do about a thousand, seven hundred fifty pounds of pelletized lime in that spreader at a time. And I'd drive down the road, go to one of the fields, and spread, and just keep doing that. And believe it or not, within a few hours, um, you can spread a lot. I mean, if you're doing seven hundred fifty pounds at a time. Um, and then my cousin ended up coming towards the end and, and, and helped me finish it up. And with two guys, it was I mean, we were cranking it out. But um, yeah, I mean, it just the ground held. I know sometimes people say ag lime, uh, Peloton's lime is instant and stuff. I did probably put it on in some cases a little bit heavier um, than I should have. But again, I've, I've been really happy with the results. I didn't see any um, negative impacts on the OM. Um, of course, that's not a total indicator of microbial activity in soil, but I mean, it is you know, showing that the OM didn't decrease or anything like that. It's not like the salt contents in the lime roasted all microbial activity or anything like that. Um, so it worked out, and now, uh, like this year, I probably will have to put some pelletized lime down um, again, but I think it's just going to be more maintenance. I think it's going to be a much smaller amount. Um, you know, going forward. So it worked really well for me. I might have got lucky. Uh, but, yeah, that was back in 2016. It was almost all pellet line. Oh, wow. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know guys say sometimes, like, oh, pellet line works quickly. Um, and there's a lot of studies on that. And to be honest, the whole, like, line thing, I'm just not, like, overly interested in it. I don't know. I haven't read much of the stuff on it. It's like, I use a little bit of lime to amend my soil, but I'm trying to go the other way, right? Like, I'm trying to build my soil uh, through more natural processes, so I have to use less and less inputs. Um, right. So, you know, like even like lime and fertilizer and things like that, I'm, I'm trying to to get away from it. So even if it comes back and says um, 1,000 pounds, like I might do 50, 25 to 50% of the recommended uh, lime. Because as long as my OM's climbing, that's what I'm, I'm shooting for um, right now. So what are your plans for this spring, Jared? What do you got going on? Good question. Good question. I need to probably first and foremost, I want to add some cover crop and some clover and chicory to the food plots. Get some some stuff going on some of the bare soil that the loggers left tore up from last fall, um, but I have some work to do in the timber. Uh, again, the loggers came through September. It was dry in there for once, and I, you know, seeded a bunch of oats and rye and wheat and clover, and I had the most beautiful looking logging trails you've ever seen. Well, they're all underwater now, which is normal this time of year. Um, but all the all the tops that they left per my instruction um, are all in pretty good spots. But after hunting it hard, you can kind of see where all right the deer didn't come down this trail that I thought they would. They went around the top that way. Well, that's like 45 yards, right? That's you know I don't shoot deer with my bow at 45 yards, so there's some tweaking that needs to be done. Um, my neighbor set up a big ladder stand right on my property line uh, this past year, and they hunted the shit out of it. I, and that's fine. He, he's an awesome guy. He gives me permission to access through his ground. So 
no complaints really, but um, you know, I just want to make sure I'm I'm not being affected by their pressure if I can help that. And whether that means drop some more trees that are that are left from the logging or 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 whatever it means, you know, try to steer the deer some other direction, I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do that. Um that and like I mentioned previously, try to clean up some blockades where there shouldn't be a blockade and then I can get a more of a maze and pocket effect in there where the deer never feel trapped or never feel like they have to go down through a funnel. Um, you know, I want to make it so they can go any direction they want at any time pretty much. And then where where I do slim it down, um, there will obviously be a tree stand or, or a saddle tree or something near that area. And so I, I guess I want to I want to prep more trees too. I hunted pretty mobile last year, and that was awesome. Um, I snuck in. Everything on your back, found trees I've never hunted before, and it's just a whole new perspective when you're up there on your own property. You have the same stand all the time on 15 acres. Well, that gets pretty boring after a while. You move <laughs> 80 yards to the right and hang up in a tree and look a different direction. It's totally different and a little unique. So I'm definitely still just learning and and, and getting through the the logging, Corey said he'd come out and help me cut some stuff down. So, Corey, I'm going to hold you to that. That sounds like a good idea. And, Take him uh, up on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and just um, that and, and manage the this, this switchgrass I talked about. I frost-seeded. That's the first-year switch establishment is always a little complicated, and, and you have to babysit it. So, What's that's the plan with Jared on the switchgrass? What's the what, Sam? What's the plan for your switchgrass, though? What are you going to do to take care of it this first year? Because I'm, I'm doing some screens as well. I wanted to see what your uh, go-to maintenance was going to be this year. Sure, sure. Well, on the, on the stuff I planted last year, I frost-seeded. Um, I'm going to hit that with Simazine, which is a pre-emergent, and, and let it ride. Um, if stuff looks really hairy and the pre-emergent isn't working, I might touch it again, but... I don't think I'm going to have to. It came in pretty well last year for, for first year. Uh, but this year, this year I had prepped my ground a lot better last fall. I sprayed a bunch of stuff and killed it all. And I'm going to frost seed that. And then you pretty much have to watch for weeds, watch for competition. So I'm going to hit Simazine here in March. Um, again, they're pre-emergent, keep everything from coming up. That only takes care of, say, half of what pops up. Then I'm going to hit it again with uh, Roundup or glyphosate prior to the switch germinating. Somewhere so, in May or so, something like that? Yeah, some, somewhere in May when that stuff starts getting tall. I did that last year because um, my first stand was not prepped the fall before, and it worked awesome. Uh, I then did a mowing later in the year, June or July. I don't remember which one I mowed when the switch was already starting to germinate and the weeds were already taller. And then uh, I let it go after that, and ended up coming in three, four foot tall year one. Um, that's not, yeah, it wasn't too bad for, for where I was at and and the prep I did the year before. So I'm dialing it in more this year. Um, it's a screen, so it's going down eight to ten pounds per acre. It's not going to be a bedding area. It's more of a, a created pinch point, to get them to walk by my stand within bow range out in the food plot. Um, I tried that before with some trees I felled. 
and Hinchcutt and then planted some, some miscanthus in before, but the loggers actually ran that all over and cleared it out. So I'm back to square one. I, w- I wasn't clear enough with them on what I needed to do there, but I'm doing that. And then I'm also going to be planting some, some more, you know, apple trees from Morse. Um, you know, Frank has the tree protection kits over there. He wants us to you know, help showcase what those do for your trees. They actually provide a guarantee, so we're going to do that. Um, probably going to go with some crab apples. I think I like those a lot. And uh, But, you know, 15 acres, I'm running out of space to plant mass trees. Um, my ground in the back is so wet, they won't grow in there. And then, you, you know, i got a couple acres of, of food plots, and after that, you start just placing them here and there. So going to be doing that that a bunch too at this point so getting back to the switchgrass you mentioned eight to ten pounds per acre for what you were trying to do what what would you do differently for bedding would that be I, a different rate yeah it's a lo- it's a lesser rate i i want to say it's four to six pounds per acre um, okay so you have more spacing is that is that the idea yeah it's not as dense so okay they like to walk through it more there's some more some more pockets in there um i want to say that's that's the correct rate it's pretty close to there if it's not and yeah, yeah so with eight to ten pounds you're just making it thick like a wall like you know we plant killer food plants gotcha. border, border patrol yep. that is a wall right that is made for screening either you or the deer from you and that's what i'm doing with this because it's not an annual it's a perennial right so it'll in two three years it'll be would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Now your um, rye plots and things, your logging roads that are underwater, are those going to be just strictly fall plots because of the way they're wet this time of year, or when when do they usually dry out? You know, they haven't dried out too much in the last four years I've owned the property. Okay. Um, last year was unique in the sense that they did dry out, and uh, I'm hoping, you know, if those dry out, we're usually having a drought year, so it's not really a, a good thing. I, I hope I get some dry patches in there. Um, I may go carve a new little quarter acre or even less than that way back against the swamp where my dad hunted with me this fall, and he saw a nice buck back there because that's a little higher ground, and I may try that, but those suckers are just underwater almost all the time, which is kind of depressing because last year it worked out so well. I had a mock scrape where three logging roads came together, and I can't tell you the amount of pictures I had on that. It was just awesome, you know. Is there any way you could ditch the road edges on those logging roads? Would that help at all, or does it just get the water table just get too high? Actually, like you did on your property, right, your your old 40? Yep. Good call. Um, I didn't think about that. That might work. Yeah, you get a guy in there with a little machine, they, they don't charge very much. You could get a lot done in a day or two. That's a great idea. Um, and now that you brought that up, between that and maybe planting some other species in there that, you know, like to drink water, some red osier, maybe some hybrid willow, stuff that sucks that stuff up, might be a way to make my little section a little drier than, than everywhere else. Good thing right. be. Yeah, I think your woods is going to be totally different this year. One year removed from from that timber harvest that you had and cleaning up those woods, I think it's going to take off and feel like a totally different patch of woods, to be honest. But Yeah, you'll have to come back and uh, get eaten alive by mosquitoes again, Sam. 
Man, they carried me away the time I walked through your woods. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was prior to the logging, right? That was that was before. Yeah, that was before the logging, yeah. So. Yeah, you, you came out of there like a little freckled kid with, you know, what, what we used to get the the dotted sickness while I used to get as kids. Chicken box. Chicken box. There it is. Yep, yeah. that was me. <laughs> it was fun though. It was good to see your place. I mean, I was there for a family vacation, not you know, an hour away, and came by and got got the tour. It was pretty cool to see. So that 15 acres seems a heck of a lot bigger once you start seeing every nook and cranny and seeing every uh, you know tree stand you've got up there. It hunts a lot bigger than that, I thought. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I think uh, if anybody else wants to come see, I'd love to show anybody else. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you came up and spent the time. We had some lunch that day. That was fun. that was right when COVID kicked off, I think. Or no, no, it was after no, that. I, I think it was. Yeah. It, it was when the mask mandate kicked off again in Michigan. That's what it was. Yep. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Was the, the, the waitress yelled at me. I remember. <laughs> um, but if anybody has any suggestions on what you could plant in a real wet logging woods with an open canopy, um, I have some ideas. But I'd be curious to see what anybody else thinks including listeners who want to, you know, follow up later on. Try some millet maybe too. I think I have heard that. Good suggestion. So, Jared, you brought up uh, you're planting some more mass crop trees. I wanted to ask these other guys because I've seen them grow some great apple orchards and stuff. How do you guys uh, implement your orchards? Do you, you like to put them next to your tree stands or do you like to put them out in a destination stand just to diversify your – food options, or what's your strategy there? Brian, I've seen your awesome trees you've grown. Yeah, I tell you, more and more properties I look at and, and some of my mentors that I've learned from, uh, accessorizing food plots is a huge uh, advantage that I've seen work very well for a lot of those guys. Uh, instead of, like, breaking up a, a food plot, like if you want to put – a lot of guys do strips instead of just a monoculture in a plot. They'll do a strip of clover, strip of beans, strip of corn, whatever. A lot of guys will take, you know, a row of apple trees and break up those strips or a row of pear trees or a row of chestnut trees. So you're killing two birds with one stone. You already have the opening. you got the canopy open for your food plots. That's going to give you enough sun for your uh, mass trees also, so... That's one thing I'd recommend. I've seen that work very well, accessorizing food plots. Nice. Al, what do you think? Yeah, um, I also meant to say I misspoke earlier. It's uh, cation exchange capacity, not uh, ratio. (laughs) That was bothering me because I knew I misspoke. I'm sure I misspoke other places, but I wanted to clarify that. But it's uh, CEC's capacity, not uh, ratio. But any, uh, I agree with Brian. I mean, I think it does depend, right? So, like, in my – I can speak from my situation. Um, I don't have a ton of open ground, right? So, like, what is the limited resource on my farm? Well, it sure as hell isn't cover, right? I mean, there's tons of cover, as I've explained. So, for me, I in my mind, I can't justify taking an acre of open ground that could be a green food source or a grain food source and turning that into a solid orchard. But what I can do – is where I have an edge feathered. Um, I can pop in some apple trees and tree tubes, so they're going to grow up and be on the edge of a food plot, so they're not really taking up any tillable um, area. 
But if I had a, a farm where I had tons of open ground, I don't, I mean, I think a beautiful orchard is cool as hell. But I, I'm just, in my situation, I'm not fortunate to have enough open ground. I will say that I also have an orchard next to the cabin that we mow around and things like that. And of course, deer are going to use it when we're not there. And this, but those are more apple tree varieties that I hope that, you know, me and, and uh, you know, the, the nieces, nephews, you know, my future children will be able to just go and pick apples off of as well. So that's another fun project. But, of course, the deer are going to use it uh, as well. Now, that is more like perfect rows, you know, look kind of that orchard look with some clover grown underneath. Hopefully the nitrogen something that apple trees grow, that type of thing. But um, I agree with B. I'm, I'm all putting them on kind of the outskirts. And um, I've done that on right now probably 50% of my fields. I have just two to four, um, and I just keep adding a couple uh, each year. I will say on, on the mass crop, um, I've planted some white oak trees uh, where I've used hinge cutting to block, like maybe where somebody might, it would, it would open up the likelihood for somebody to trespass, right? Old old skid road or uh, old four-wheeler road before it was posted and we bought it or something like that. And I've hinge cut trees to block that. And then I've gone in there and planted white oaks in between those hinge cut trees. So eventually uh, you have a big-ass white oak there. You know, I mean, it's going to be, be taken up. And I'll plant maybe one here and then another one. 50 yards, I'd stagger them, you know, in a row. So you have, have them where they have enough room, but eventually those are going to grow up. And unless somebody's sitting there with a chainsaw, it makes it a little bit harder to get a four-wheeler around. Um, and then hinge cuts in between to try to pull it. It's really good trespassing um, if you do have trees to, to block off. So I've used mass trees that way as well. Now, do any of you guys plant them in the middle of your plots? and run clover around both sides. I've seen that done in the past by other consultants and whatnot. Um, I put mine off to the side as well. Uh, not quite, you know, on the edge, but off to the side. I'm afraid I'm going to hit them with Roundup or something. But what do you guys, you guys ever seen that before where you make a, a long strip food plot and then the center of the food plot is lined with trees on the middle? Yeah, I've yeah, seen it before. I mean, it, it looks cool. I mean, my, my whole theory is, um, like you said, you're afraid of hitting them with Roundup, and, and the maintenance side of things is pretty, pretty, you know, time-consuming. And if you got them in every corner of your property, you're going to spend half the day driving around, the, you know, the property to deliver, uh, you know, your chemicals to it or whatnot. So um, I've, I've always kind of done it differently. My dad and I bicker of what, where we're going to put these <laughs> these uh, trees because he wants them next to every tree stand, and I think that's a good idea. I mean, it it's it's fine, but I mean he's not the one that has to go out and mow them all the time. That that, that falls on me. So my my strategy this, with this uh, upcoming spring is to take I've, I've got an order for 18 um, trees coming in, and actually none of them are apples, just because I have so many darn cedars around. Um, Brock told me it's not even worth trying mess with with, with apples, so it's going to be yeah. chestnuts, crab apples, pears, and persimmons. Um, but I'm trying to put it in an area pretty close to the house. So if I have to run water to them, that's, that's doable. If I have to, you know, when I go and mow the orchard, it, it won't be too terrible to bring more out there and everything, but it's next to a destination plot of, uh, that's going to be alpha alpha this year. Um, and I just think that, you know, if you get all that diversity with your, um, destination plot, I mean, you're going to have a pretty predictable feeding pattern if you ask me, but, um, you know, it's going to take a few years for that to come to fruition, but that's that's the plan anyways. So that's why I was asking what you guys like to do. 
Yeah, I actually like that, Sam. Um, having the ability to water is going to be huge, first of all. You don't have to plant and pray like I do. Um, that's pretty awesome. And then, you know, before we get off the apple tree thing, you can still prune right now if you guys have apple trees point, out there. I want to bring that up. I saw mine today real quick. Um, I pruned them last year, and I'm like, man, I just devastated these things. What did I do? And then you look this year, it's all growing back. It's all growing back, and it's going up taller. I have to do it again. So that's kind of cool. Um, you want to do that, you know, in the winter, early spring, before any new growth has begun, and and now's a good time to, to think about that. But uh, moving on, Sam, you're alfalfa. How are you planting that? How is that going? That's pretty intriguing. It, um, so, very yeah, attractive actually, plant. I'm actually renting that out to a local farmer. Um, there's 12 acres of tillable right out of the, right outside the house, um, so you can overlook it all and everything. And um, it was in beans this year, like I said, and that's where I saw the 40 deer. We saw the farm first in August, and none of the beans were over your shin. They were just getting demolished by the deer. Um, Jeez. So the farmer said, called me after the year, and he said, I'm not doing it again. Like, I, we, we lost a ton of money on those on those acreage. Um, you need to find somebody to put in an alfalfa. So um, I called around a couple farmers, and one guy was willing to do it. Um, so I was a little hesitant. I was thinking about putting it into CRP and just putting it into, uh, you know, some nice bedding and cover, but – Honestly, being right outside the house, that, that the idea of having a nice, lush, green food plot that you can see uh, during the summer, I mean, there's something to be said for that, too. I mean, it, we're in it for aesthetics a little bit as well, so um, it should be a win-win. But, uh, yeah, that'll hold up to the to the browse pressure for sure. And uh, I know Brian has been a big fan of Alpha, 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 Alpha in the past, so I'm hoping that it holds on to, through November and is a uh, draw through November. That's my big question right now. You know, when does that become a point where it's it's not as attractive anymore? Yeah, I've I've seen them hit it up into the rut. You know, definitely in the November. Uh, probably not going to get much usage out of it past that when we start getting those really cold nights. Um, I'm definitely going to be planting some on the new lease for sure. That um, broadcast and spray method I used was unbelievable. You guys saw the pictures and videos from down there at the old lease so uh, a little expensive a little more investment on the roundup ready but as far as time is money if you look at things that way it, it was a big savings for me for sure brian run us through how you did that real quick just for people who haven't seen the video yeah so early on before spring green up the the ground was pretty open i could see a lot of bare dirt so i obviously getting in there late um first year of the lease I didn't have any way to do any prep the year before uh, in a perfect world if you can just like you talked about with the switchgrass uh, get that prepped the the previous fall kill everything with uh, glyphosate get that all cleared up and then just uh, you can pitch that uh, alfalfa seed it's real tiny like clover uh, it'll get down it'll work its way down with any rains or any, any frost heaving and uh, just come back when it starts coming up and the weeds get bad. Uh, being Roundup ready, just spray it with glyphosate and kills everything but the alfalfa. That sounds pretty good. And they hit the crap out of it, didn't they? Yeah, they were in it all summer, all fall, up until, uh, like I said, that stuff, 
you know, depending on your climate. Um, Eastern Ohio, we were good till about probably the middle of November. Then we got some of those really cold nights, and it started browning up a little bit, and it, it became less attractive. Yeah, but that's a great plot. I mean, for you know, alfalfa is a legume, and it's pumping nitrogen in. If you go back and spray, especially towards the end of summer, um, if you're able, I, I, I think Sam and I texted about this, but, you know, don't just go start throwing rye grain if, if the guy's going to be cutting it for hay because he might not want that volunteer rye the next year. But if you're doing a plot like Brian did, you spray it that second dose of, of Roundup, uh, you know, around August time frame until those weeds before going into the fall. You have all that dead thatch falling. Alfalfa is going to pop. And you could go right in with a radish or, or a killer food plot's brassica blend and some uh, you know, cereal rye grain, and it'll fill in any gaps as well where those weeds were. You talk about a plot that'll feed deer all year. No, brassicas are going to use up some of that nitrogen that was in the soil too. So um, that's a great mix, man, for sure. You know, there's one other thing that, you know, Brian and I didn't even think about this. We're doing these land plans, right? Brian just got done with a consult over in Pennsylvania. Um, I have one on Monday here in Michigan. It's it's time to scout, right? I mean, the snow's starting to melt. At least on my farm, a lot of it was, was melted. You know, that's the best time, in my opinion, and many others, to see what it looked like, you know, late fall. After all the deer have been running through it the whole time. Now is the time to scout. I would get out there if I were you. And don't just look for deer trails and rubs and scrapes, you know, like I do. Look at browse pressure. Look at, look, you know, do a browse survey. Look around. What do you have left? Is your clover nipped down to the, like a fairway? Um, on the side of your deer trails, is everything bit, cut down, even, you know, non-preferables? Are they eating? You know, are they, are they eating the multiflora rose? Are they eating the autumn olive? That type of stuff. Um I definitely have some scouting to do on on my place. And Brian, you're you got a couple new places to hunt. I know you do. Sam, same boat. You know, uh, so that's a good point. If if you can keep your your eyes open and focused, <laughs> not get sidetracked by deer sign, then uh, be a good yeah. thing to kind of kind of I guess understand the capacity of what your property is holding in terms of habitat, carrying capacity, that sort of thing. Alex to talk about that, you know. So yeah, I, I haven't had many cameras left out, but uh, I, that one walk I did take, I couldn't believe the handfuls of uh, good acorns I was still picking up, solid ones that haven't been found yet. So that gives me a lot of hope for this season. Those deer had a lot of food this winter uh, in Pennsylvania and in eastern Ohio. We had a really good acorn crop, and it, it was nice to see that still piles and, and reserves of them left over. So I'm hopeful that they had plenty of food and uh, looking forward to getting out there and trying to figure them out here shortly. Any other guys have cameras out yet still? Yeah, I've got a, I've got probably seven or eight that I've got to pick up this weekend here. And uh, I'm usually I take them in until about July, but I'm thinking about keeping them out. You know, of course you're not going to see which buck is, running around, but being a new piece of ground, I just want to pick up on some some patterns and where they're traveling and what they're using and everything, so kind of going against what I normally do here, but uh, um, I might keep a couple out over the winter and into the spring here and see what happens, so 
excited to see what's on those two. They've been out for two months now, so. I like that idea. You could set them, you know, up high in the corner of a field, put them on a time-lapse mode or something, or not, and just get an idea of, of how they're going to be entering the field. And right. you know, take, take that with a grain of salt. Things are different in the fall than the spring, but I mean, I, at so the same much time, maybe not. There's so much to learn. You might as well uh, get started now, you know. Yep. It's a good good shed hunting tool, too. You see them walking by, and they got two antlers. Obviously, the next time they come by with none, get out there and try to find them. Yep. Yeah, shed hunting. Great point. Well, you know, I run cameras all, pretty much all year, at least a couple of them. Uh, I just enjoy it. You know, a couple of cell cameras, uh, whether it's bobcats, coyotes, you know, things like that. So I'm always running cameras. Um, you know, try to pick up on just unique observations, you know, time of year, what what are deer hitting, what are deer not hitting, uh, you know, things like that. And I always I always enjoy enjoy that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you guys. You know, I have spots of uh, the farm there that I haven't spent nearly enough time scouting. So, Jared, like you said earlier, I want to um, – you said, you know, getting mobile and moving is, is fun, and that's kind of where I'm at. There's – I actually moved a camera or two – you know, you get in just such a rhythm of having cameras in the same, you know, on the corner corner food plot or, you know, wherever. It's the same place over and over and over. And, um, I've always find it interesting that if I ever move a camera to a specific trail that I know of or something like that, I'll pick up a deer I've never seen before, you know. And I'm like, man, I got all these cameras and I've never seen that deer. How could that be? You just avoided that one, you know, that location that I had it at or, or whatnot. So um, I actually moved a couple cameras back in like December and just let them soak. Um, and there are some pretty good spots that I think will be really good traditional funnels um, for deer. They're just due to the terrain features and kind of butting up against the thicket and coming into like a feeding food plot area. Um, so I'm excited to check those. I think that'll be a good scouting tool. And then I don't pay a whole lot of attention to rubs, but I wrote that um, little article uh, that we posted. And I do like marking the flagging tape uh, if I can find traditional rubs, that, like if I can find four or five rubs in a row and they're traditional marking, you can tell that tree's rubbed every year. Well, then it piques my interest enough, especially if I'm looking around, I'm going, all right, that tree's rubbed every year. And then there's another rub here that's fresh. Then there's another two rubs I can see, you know, this time of year, you can see a ways. Then it kind of starts to say, all right, it looks like deer bucks in particular, they are using this area. Um, this wasn't just a one-off, he was pissed off, he rubbed the tree type of thing. Um, and I have at least two to three areas I can think of off the top of my head that are on the farm that are like that every year. And every year around early November, big bucks are cruising those regions. I mean, it just it's just pretty traditional. They end up having scrapes all over them. Um, so as I find some of those new areas, I will definitely mark it with flagging tape and either go in there later and hang and hunt or set a permanent stand or set a camera maybe next year such a long journey right next year you set the camera then the year after maybe you go and, and hunt it if you if you don't have a mobile set this year i hope to be a hell of a lot more mobile um but yeah i mean that that's kind of my plan is this year with a baby on the way man keep it simple enjoy it um enjoy the things that are you know outside of just the hunting aspect like you know planting food plots and the soil health aspect planting trees and uh, not get too worked up about it yeah being able to practice your mobile setup throughout the year you know you could even take your new setup that you got walk through the woods scouting 
find a tree, mark it, climb it, set the sand, climb down. You do that three, four, you know, ten times this summer. Be, you know, prepared to rock that thing this fall. Cover it up in camo, big backpack on your back, that whole thing too. Because I know, like with a saddle, it just takes practice and practice and practice until you really get to love it. Yep. Sometimes you have to just get uncomfortable and do it, though. I mean, that's true uh, too. Brian was nice enough to let Zach and I go and hunt Pennsylvania um, on some of the properties he had permission this past year, and um, went in there with a climber. I'm like, never used this climber before. Clumsy as hell. You know, go in first night. It's about 800 degrees, and <laughs> I'm like, oh, this that looks like a good thicket, you know. And, and Brian had showed us some general. Here's where the deer kind of came from. We were up on this other ridge, so you could kind of see the layout of the farm. I just went into this thick area, uh, could see a bench there, and making all sorts of noise, sweating my ass off. And, um, you know, for first night, uh, almost ended up killing a deer. It was just, I felt, I didn't feel totally solid um, in, in my release and did not want to make a poor shot on, on the deer. So I ended up letting him go. We had a couple more days to hunt. Hindsight, maybe I should have flung one, but. Uh, I'm happy I didn't shoot him and injure him or something like that. And, um, Zach ended up getting an opportunity and kind of the same thing. He went the other way. I went one way, looked at some good sign, and, and he's probably a hell of a lot more stealthy than I am, but uh, nonetheless got up there with the wind in his face and ended up seeing you know, a really good buck and having an opportunity uh, you know, at, a, at a good deer. Sometimes I think I've used um, – I haven't used that enough. It's just like, oh, maybe I'll make too much noise, like, Sometimes you just got to go in there and get set up and, and see what happens. And you see how many of these guys do it, and they consistently kill big deer that way. So I'm I'm really excited. I've done it on public land a few times in my life. Um, but for whatever reason, there's been like a mental block to do it on my own place. And I'm excited to to go in there and, and, and try to make something happen that way this year. Yeah, and, and speaking of Zach, Zach, you know, he knows what he's doing down on those hills too. Um we had him on podcast 89 right after Danny, and that was a great chat. I think, uh, to your point, being mobile keeps them guessing. Um, you're never going to be you – know, your stand's never going to be picked off from, you know, the time before you were there or the time before that. So it can always help your, your access and keep the deer in your property guessing. So good point, though. Well, gentlemen, that's all I had for some uh, – spring habitat agendas um love to hear what the listeners are doing if you guys feel like chatting and and showing some pictures check out our group at habitat chat over there on facebook and love to love to hear what you're doing so guys good luck you know wear your chaps wear your helmets and uh you know be safe sam let us know what you find this weekend bud will do look for some updates here next week Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. 
of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.